Hey there, we're in a series called I Am, looking at who Jesus is and what that means for us today. Today, I'm looking at Jesus saying, I am the gate from John chapter 10, verses one to 10. But before I read those verses, the question that's been posed so far in John's gospel is who is Jesus? Who is this man who literally turns water into wine, who offers the Samaritan woman living water, who heals the paralyzed man, who feeds the 5,000, who walks on water, and then heals the blind man. There's huge debate around Jesus' identity. Some people say, well, he's just a normal bloke. He's just a normal guy. Some say he's a sinner. Others say he's a prophet. You see, Jesus clearly divides opinion. In chapter nine, the blind man who is healed ends up worshiping Jesus as his Messiah. But on the other hand, the Pharisees, they don't want anything to do with any talk about Jesus being the Messiah. But they're confused. They've just witnessed Jesus healing a blind man. And they're a little bit struggling to come to terms with who Jesus is. Who exactly is this man? You see, at the start of chapter 10, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and he wants to try and answer the question that he thinks they are asking, which is how will you know who the savior of the world is? What would you look for? Just imagine for a moment how you would answer that question. If someone said to you, what does the savior of the world look like? Describe him for me. What would you say? I think some of us might say, well, the savior of the world would look like a strong leader, maybe like a king or a politician who leads with righteousness and justice. Maybe others would think of like a business leader who's really, really successful. Or maybe others would see the savior of the world as like a genie in the bottle you know, who we go to with our free wishes, knowing that, hey, if this is the savior, surely he'll grant me my free wishes. I don't know how you would answer that question, but I very much doubt it would be how Jesus describes the savior in John chapter 10, verses one to 10. So let's have a look at those verses now and see how Jesus describes the savior. John chapter 10, verses one to 10. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger, in fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. This is the word of the Lord. As you'll see in verse one, Jesus turns and talks directly to the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day. And he begins with an illustration in verses one to five, and then an explanation in verses seven to 10. In verses one to five, Jesus is trying to illustrate the kind of leader who he is, and he uses imagery that would be very familiar to the people of his day. I love it how Jesus talks in that kind of language. He uses everyday language so that people understand who he is. 
We've seen that already in John, haven't we? We've seen him use water and bread and light to describe exactly who he is. And here he talks about a shepherd and his sheep. The imagery, I guess, might be lost on, on most of us because we live in the city. If Jesus was alive today, I wonder whether he would use other language when talking to a large London crowd. He might talk about a sports coach and his or her players. He might talk about a classroom teacher and their students. I don't really know, but what I do know is that Jesus is trying to use language that his hearers would understand. So Jesus creates this image of a sheep pen, which was most likely a large communal enclosure where several flocks would be herded together at night. There'd be one entrance to this sheep pen and during the night, you know, someone would be hired, uh, you know, a gatekeeper would be hired to stand there at night to watch over the sheep and protect them. He would remain there and, you know, no one can get in apart from the robbers, the thieves, who would literally scale the walls, climb the walls to get in and have access to the sheep in the enclosure. The guard would only allow the true shepherds to come in by the door in the morning. You see, the true shepherds would go into the sheep pen in the morning and begin to call out their sheep by name. You know, come here, long ears, come here, white nose, come here, spotty, come here, stumpy, come here, blotty, maybe, I don't know. But they would call out their names and the sheep would listen to the shepherd's voice and follow the shepherd out. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? In fact, I'm told this still happens today in many places around the world, that the shepherd calls out the sheep here and they follow. When a shepherd and their sheep spend that much time together, they recognize each other. Over Christmas, me and my family spent some time on, on holiday in, uh, in Norfolk on a, on a farm. And each day we had the joy of taking our kids out um, into the farm with the farmers to feed the animals. They had lots of animals, including sheep, of course. And as we'd go out to try and feed the sheep, we, we, we noticed that the, the farmers knew the sheep by name. To us, they looked exactly the same as one another, but they were calling them by name. Not by number, but by name. They recognized each and every single one of them. You may not have experienced that, but you may have experienced being in a crowded room full of children and parents. It's noisy, it's chaotic, it's maybe not the best place to be sometimes, but maybe a baby starts crying. It could be any person's baby, it could be any person's child, but the parent stands up and says, that's my child. I know their voice, I recognize them, and normally the parent would run and try and comfort the child. Maybe you've experienced that or seen it. See, Jesus is painting the picture of a shepherd who has a close, intimate relationship with the sheep, almost like that of a parent and a child. And this is really, really important because this imagery runs right through the whole Bible. And the Pharisees who Jesus is talking to would have known that. For example, in Ezekiel 34, God speaks out against false leaders who were supposed to be shepherds of God's flock. For example, it says in Ezekiel 34, verses two to three, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. <laughs> God's pretty harsh. He criticizes them for not looking after the sheep, for not caring for them and protecting them. And the result in the end is pretty bad actually. God's people are plundered and they're scattered. But you know, Jesus is pretty clever, isn't he? He's using this language not only to remind the Pharisees of how God rebuked the leaders of the Old Testament, but he's using this language, this story, to rebuke them. He wants them to see who they are in this story. They are the thief, the robber, 
the stranger. They're the ones who are literally scaling the walls of the sheep enclosure and getting access to the sheep to lead them astray. You see, isn't this why people need a shepherd? One who loves the sheep and who'll fight for them. The imagery of a shepherd isn't just one of one who's warm and cuddly, but actually someone who's a man of violence, who's ready to fight on behalf of the sheep. And I think we too need to have that in mind, particularly when we consider people inside the church and outside the church who want to come in as robbers and take us away from the shepherd and his life-giving words. There are people who will come in and encourage us to doubt God's goodness and doubt the full life that he offers us. They entice us with words. For example, these are people who come in and say, come on, watching pornography isn't bad. It's a natural thing to do. Surely wouldn't God be against it? He can't be against it, surely. Or maybe they'll say, if you love someone, surely God will be happy if you just sleep with them and have sex with them outside of marriage. Come on, surely God won't be against that. But these people aren't interested in God's word. They know very little about what it says in the Bible. Are we listening to the shepherd or are we listening to strangers? If it's a stranger, we need to run a mile like the sheep do in verse five. We must only listen to the shepherd. And God promises throughout the Bible that he's gonna come and shepherd his people. We see that in places like Ezekiel 34, like Psalm 23, that well-known Psalm, and Isaiah 40. Jesus is the shepherd that the Old Testament points towards, and he's very much unlike false shepherds. You see, false shepherds, well, you know, they come in and they use deception to, to draw the sheep away. False shepherds are only interested in themselves and their own self-interest, their own self-gain. But in these verses, we see that Jesus is the true shepherd. And we see that his identity is legitimate. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls the sheep out by name. He guides and leads his people. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. I wonder what voice are you listening to today? The shepherd or the stranger? To be upfront, today we're gonna to give you an opportunity, if you would like to, to respond to the voice of God and put your trust in Jesus. We're gonna give you that opportunity. As the Bible says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. We wanna be upfront about that. That opportunity is gonna to come today. If you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Come before him, put your trust in Jesus. But before we get there, I want to show you that, you know, not only is the saviour a shepherd, but also the saviour is a gate. You see, we see in verse six, if you have a look at verse six, that the Pharisees don't have a clue. They haven't got a scooby what Jesus is saying and what's going on. So faced with the blank faces of his audience, Jesus tries again and provides an explanation to his earlier illustration. Verse seven to 10 can be a little bit confusing because he started talking about a shepherd and now he's saying, I am the gate. What's he trying to get at here? You see, the verses highlight actually another part of the shepherd's role. Jesus is picturing a slightly different scenario to the first one. He's now picturing a sheep pen without a physical gate or gatekeeper. In many Middle Eastern sheep pens, the shepherd would actually lie down at night in the gateway to stop the sheep getting in and out and to stop predators coming to attack the sheep. So literally the shepherd would literally lie down 
on the floor and would actually become a gate. It's quite amazing, isn't it? And that's why Jesus can say in verse nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Aren't these just amazing words? I am the gate. Come and enter through me and you will be saved. This claim is both exclusive and inclusive. It's exclusive. I am the gate. Jesus pulls the rug out from any others who claim to be God. He says, I am the only way to salvation. Salvation can be found in no one else but in the name of Jesus. It flies in the face of people who say, well, all paths lead up the same mountain to the same God. All religions are the same. No, no. Jesus' claim is exclusive. There's only one way to salvation and it's not through Islam. It's not through meditation. It's not through self-help. It's only through faith in Jesus. But you might be there saying, prove it, prove it. And Jesus would say, I have, <laughs> I have proved it. In fact, John says in John chapter 20, verses 20, sorry, verses 30 to 31, to summarize why he wrote the gospel. John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. See, Jesus proved it time and time again through many signs and miracles that he is the only way to salvation. It's an exclusive claim. But I want you to know today that it's also inclusive. It's for everyone. I love it how he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You can enter. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter. Anyone can enter and be saved. Maybe you're here today and you're already thinking of all the things that disqualify you from coming. Maybe you feel like, oh, God would never accept me. Maybe you're there saying, if only you knew. Pastor, if only you knew what I did last night. If only you knew what I did last week. If only you knew, you wouldn't be saying these things. Well, God knows. God knows. He knows everything about us. And he says, whoever, whoever enters through me will be saved. He welcomes everyone. He accepts everyone. Anyone can come. What are the benefits of walking through this gate? Well, verse nine is a beautiful picture of safety, security and provision. It reminds me actually of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? Come to Jesus through this gate and you have everything you need. And as we read in verse 10, he promises life and life to the full. I was uh, 13 years old when I entered through the gate and I was saved. I did it at a Christian camp. I responded to the gospel. But you know what? Throughout my teenage years, it was a little bit up and down. And when I was 18 years old, I actually went completely off the rails doing all sorts of things that I knew I probably shouldn't have done. I stopped attending the Friday night youth group that was run by my church. And instead, I was actually going out clubbing with my friends. I was experimenting with all sorts of things, drinking, partying, girls. I was just living life. 
And one summer, I actually became, believe it or not, the ringleader uh, of a group of lads going on a summer holiday to Benidorm. I, I know, right, it sounds really sleazy. And no offence, by the way, if you've ever been to Benidorm, if you're from Benidorm, if you like Benidorm, I, I hear it's a, a lovely place. But, but that was me. I was the ringleader. I was that guy who was basically organising a bunch of lads, 12 lads actually, to go to Benidorm on holiday. I got the lads to book in and pay their deposits and I was organising the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, out of the blue, I got a text message from my youth leader at the time saying, um, why don't you pop in and, and see me? I'd love to have a chat. Now, I, have, I had a really good relationship with the youth leader, so I, I didn't mind going to see him. So I went to, to meet up with him. And so I, I turn up and he kind of graciously looks at me and he's like, dude, what, what are you doing? I've heard about this trip to Benidorm, man. What, what, what's going on? And he started to ask me about kind of my motives and, and, and why really I was encouraging this whole group of lads to go to Benidorm when previously I'd have been encouraging them to go to the church. And he was kind of asking me, why was I doing this? Now, I was 18 years old, so I was wanting to do what most teenagers of that age want to do. I was chasing the sun, I was chasing the booze, I was chasing the women. I was chasing what lots of people say life is all about. I was just wanting to have a good time and I was listening to that narrative. And I knew deep down, deep down that my motives weren't right. I basically wanted to go and indulge in, in, in sin, basically. But you know what? That conversation with my youth leader changed the trajectory of my life. My youth pastor kindly, graciously helped me to see my sinful motives. I ended up deciding actually not to go to Benidorm, praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, and you know what, my, my phone calls to my, my friends to tell them I wasn't going were painful. They were like, bruv, you're not coming to Benidorm, man, Benidorm. And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm not going to Benidorm. And uh, I actually ended up having to lose the 300 pound deposit that I paid to go. But it was worth it because I was more, more concerned about honouring God than going to Benidorm. My youth pastor, you see, he helped me he stopped me from potentially making terrible mistakes. I came back to Jesus, I repented, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and my life was changed. I started reading the Bible more, I started leading groups and later I went on to lead many groups at university. I grew in my passion for telling people about Jesus and I began a journey of exploring what it is to live for Jesus in every area of my life, to live my whole life under his lordship. And so I'd think about how can I honour God in, in every area, my finances, my relationships, my, my personal life, my, my, my workplace, everything, in my sport. Everything came under the Lordship of Christ. Instead of pursuing lots of women, I pursued one woman and got married. Instead of listening to the voices of the world and what they say defines good, I started listening to the shepherd's, vo the shepherd's voice. Instead of following the crowd and doing things just to please other people, I started living for an audience of one living to please and honour King Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about, isn't it? Living to please him. And you know what? Following Jesus is not like just having another lecturer or going to church. It's not just like having another social club, although it is very sociable. It's not just another add-on in our lives. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a gym member over here and so I'm a member of a church over there. Or, you know, I listen to lots of different teachers and Jesus is just one of them. See, Jesus didn't come just to be another add-on in your life. He came to be your very life. To give you the life that you were created for. To give you everything that life's all about. 
John 10, 10, he came to give you life and life to the full. Do we really believe that today? Do we really believe deep down that Jesus gives us life and life to the full? Or do we just pay lip service to it? I suspect that many of us doubt some of these truths, to be honest. You know, we stand at the gate thinking any number of possibilities. Perhaps we are, are worried. We, we worry about what other people might think of us. We think our, you know, our family and friends will think, oh man, what are you doing joining up with that God squad maybe? Perhaps we are afraid. We fear that maybe by becoming a Christian, we have to live by lots of rules. And we think about maybe all the things that we'd have to give up. Hey, listen, I had to give up 300 pounds and a trip to Benidorm, all right? <laughs> okay, but it's worth it. It's worth it because Jesus gives us an intimate relationship with him. Perhaps you're concerned about church. Maybe you've had a bad experience about church. Maybe you think, hey, you know, isn't church going to be boring? Or am I going to have to join a group with a bunch of weirdos and randoms? Uh, you know, what I love about the church is that, you know, no matter how random you are, you're always welcome. I, I love that about the church. Or maybe you're thinking, man, is it true? Is it really true? You know, we, we often think that the world offers us so much life, more life than maybe following Jesus. Is it true that Jesus gives us life? Maybe we're listening too much to strangers and thieves and robbers and not enough to the shepherd. We all have questions and doubts, don't we? But in the end, the challenge is, will we take Jesus at his word? Will we actually listen to his voice? Will we enter through the gate of salvation and trust the true shepherd with our whole lives? He promises to lead us to green pastures. He promises to give us everything that we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything that we need in this life. And we'd have life now and life forever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just thrilling that we can have life now and life forever? As we conclude today, Jesus describes the kind of saviour that he is. He is a shepherd who knows and loves his sheep. He knows them by name and calls them out by name to follow him. This is actually what Jesus did himself. You'll see in the Gospels, he's walking along and he calls his disciples out by name. Hey, Simon, come. Hey, Andrew, come. Philip, Nathaniel, come and follow me. And of course, they leave everything behind and they follow him. Perhaps Jesus is calling your name today. Come, come and follow. He's also a gate. He literally lies down and protects his sheep. Whoever enters through the gate will be saved. But not only that, will be sustained through green pastures and given life. You know, as we continue to read John chapter 10, as we will do next week, and the rest of the Gospels, we'll, we'll see that the same way that Jesus lies down to be the gate, he lies down in death. He lays his life down in death. But not only that, he rises up back to life again and offers that new life, that eternal life to anyone who would trust in him. You know, many leaders sacrifice people to keep power, but Jesus sacrifices himself to save people. Surely this is the kind of saviour we want running our lives. One who is willing to lay down his life for us. I wonder today if you're someone who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus, will you? Will you today take that step and put your faith in Jesus? Will you enter through the gate and be saved? 
but maybe you're a follower of Jesus already. Maybe you're one of the sheep. You're in the pen. And my challenge to you would be, are you close enough to the shepherd to hear his voice? Are you being obedient and following him into the life that he has promised for you and for me? Do we really believe deep down that Jesus offers life and life to the full? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful that Jesus is the gate whom anyone can enter through and be saved. We're so thankful that you offer life and life to its fullness. And I pray today that you pour your spirit upon us and you'd help us to, to really understand and believe these truths. Help it to sink deep down into our hearts that we may be sheep who hear your voice and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.